welcome to another episode of Emrata Ask. This is the solo episode we do on Thursdays where I pose a question and investigate it. Today, we are talking about OnlyFans. Last week, we had Iggy Azalea on the podcast, and she just made an OnlyFans, and she was talking about it in a really interesting way, a fascinating way for me, where she was talking about basically taking control over, cutting out what she felt was the middleman, and being able to charge for content and basically commodifying her body on her own terms, and that OnlyFans has been this platform where she's been able to do that. So got a lot of people talking, and then I posed the question on my Instagram and on TikTok and basically asked all of you to call in, go to hilo.fm, give, send in audio notes if you're somebody who uses OnlyFans or just have thoughts in general. Um, this is like not the first time we've obviously talked about commodification of body and of image, something that's come up with kind of all of my Fem presenting guests, I would say. But I think that this Iggy conversation, particularly around OnlyFans, really fascinated me. She basically said at one point that in the past, she has been the last person to profit from her body and that she's gotten the smallest cut and that this is a way to, to reclaim and have control and to make some cash while doing it. So I want to get into this. There's a lot of amazing, amazing thoughts that you all submitted that I think are just going to start a really great conversation about sort of the pros and cons of OnlyFans because I'm also thinking about starting one. So I'm essentially asking the question, should I start an OnlyFans? And we're going to get into a lot about how women are sexualized anyway, about the question of whether or not this is feminism. I personally don't think it is, but we'll talk about that. We'll talk about this in an intersectional way and talking about women who are white and in small bodies and how that is different for them than other femme-presenting people. I also want to talk about the taboo of OnlyFans. And then we're also going to talk about what it means to be a celebrity going on the platform for sex workers. And we're going to end on that note because I want more feedback on that. But let's get into it. I'm very excited about this episode today. Stay tuned for more Hilo with Emrata. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Okay, so first I want to start with a personal anecdote. If you've read my book, then you know that I was a part of the iCloud hack that happened in, I think it was 2014, where Jennifer Lawrence, Kim Kardashian, Rihanna, tons and tons of celebrities had their iClouds hacked and personal photos were leaked. It was one of the most traumatizing experiences of my life. I lost a patch of hair the week it happened. I thought my career was over. It was at a point where I really wanted to be a serious actress and 
everyone was telling me that, you know, I'd been photographed naked so much and that it was going to be hard for people to take me seriously. And there was a lot of kind of conversation that these photos had been leaked intentionally, a lot of slut shaming. And they were extremely intimate photos. They were intended for someone that I was in love with. And it was horrible. I can't tell you. And if you've also read my book, this is not my only experience with losing control or power over my image and my body. I've had books of photos of me sold without consent. I've had people profit off of my image, usually men, and I've gotten no cut of it. And actually, a lot of the times it's cost me money to either, for example, with the iCloud hack, hire a lawyer, to hire a tech company, to try to clean the internet of them, to at one point I bought an art piece that was made of me by Richard Prince that cost me money. The lawyer's fees I had to take on when I went after the photographer who had an art show and published a book of my photos without my consent. Paparazzi, who I do not consent to taking my picture, or at this point my sons and the lawsuits, they've actually sued me for posting my own pictures. You know, when I talk about taking back control and why I'm so passionate about this is because I have had extremely brutal things happen to me around this, particularly in my 20s, particularly when I was really vulnerable and I wasn't able to see these kind of situations for what they were. I blame myself. I didn't have the resources that I have now to fight back. And that is part of the reason that I'm interested in OnlyFans and this conversation in general. So I wanted to start with that. One of the voice notes that we got in that I found particularly astute and important to start with is one where a woman is talking about how she feels that women are sexualized without consent constantly, whether or not you play into it or not, right? Like the second you step out of your house or your presence is felt virtually or physically, you experience sexualization and that as a waitress, she experienced this, which goes back to our Chloe Cherry episode. I recommend you listening to that and also the follow-up episode I did about that and sex work because I didn't agree with all the things Chloe said. What she has experienced with sex work and with OnlyFans is that this at least allows her to have something. <laughs> literally, I was going to say take back control, but literally just have any, get anything positive from the experience of being sexualized. And she's talking about how you are sexualized anytime, physically, virtually, your presence is felt, and how this has been an opportunity for her to get anything from it. I think that there's this idea of uh, not just control, not just power, but just anything. And I want to hear from her. So here's Kat. I mean, even in the service industry, I got propositioned for a threesome at the table with this man's wife right across from him. And she didn't speak English. And it, he like touched my hand when I handed him over the checkbook. It was mortifying. I just like didn't go back. That's how this world works. And it's awful. And it doesn't matter how you talk. It doesn't matter how you dress. We have little power over that situation. So for me, sex work was one of those things where I looked at that and I was like, if I'm going to be sexualized, then why the fuck would I not capitalize on it? So it was an opportunity for me to fight back and to use what I have and what supposedly what the world, how the world works to my advantage. So I think every femme presenting person has experienced in some way their sexuality being 
taken from them or exposed or used or responded to without their consent. And listen, I think that with the kind of guests I've been having on the podcast, it's people who have built careers off of their image, right? That's what a famous person is in general. And I think typically that has a lot to do with body, but I think specifically with femme presenting people, it has even more to do with your body, even if you're, you know, an actress who's never been seen naked or whatever, there is an element that is about the commodification of your image and body, right? But I, I think one of the things that's really important to me that I haven't maybe stressed enough in the podcast in general, that I don't think that this is feminism necessarily. I believe I'm sex positive, obviously. <laughs> I believe in the liberation of you know, women and their ability to express their sexuality, but I don't necessarily think that commodifying your body is feminism. Actually, I not even necessarily. I just don't believe that flat out. And I think that that's something I maybe haven't been clear on. What I feel specifically is there's a reality to our world, to patriarchy, to the experience of being a femme presenting person in a capitalist society. That means you have an asset that can be traded on. I don't like it. I don't think it's necessarily good for men or for women. That being said, I would never, ever discourage a woman or say that she should not do this when there are things that can guarantee her security and her safety. So to that point, I wanted to play a voice note from Emily, who really clearly makes this point. While I do believe in everybody using their body as they please, and obviously being able to capitalize over it over the internet via OnlyFans, for example, I do think it is wrong to perpetuate this image of modern feminism about OnlyFans, especially to young women nowadays, because I don't think playing into sexualization by men in society is very empowering. I do understand the fact that if we're getting sexualized anyway, then why not make money of it? But I don't think that's necessarily fighting that sexualization, which is what I do believe we maybe should be concentrating on anyways i hope you have a great episode and i would never judge anyone doing only fans because i can totally understand the motives i just don't think we should portray it as modern feminism i couldn't agree with that more this is something that i really struggle with in my kind of personal identity which is obviously translated into a public identity which is i wrote a book i have a podcast where i'm talking about all the ways being sexualized has impacted me negatively and positively i want to be clear that's something i touch on in my book as well but a lot of people have said to me, but you perpetuate those ideas by posting things for your swimwear or showing off your body and sexualizing, your, continuing to sexualize yourself. And I, for a long time, just hated myself a little bit and felt like a bad feminist, essentially. And then I think in the wake of my separation and coming into 
my own in a certain way, honestly, somehow maybe becoming a mother too, I have just felt like, fuck it, this is the reality. And people are going to be mad at me no matter what I do. Even if I stopped wearing makeup completely, started like wearing baggy clothes and hiding my body, never posting anything even remotely sexual, that's to me is not fighting patriarchy. It might be definitely a way of subverting the male gaze, but I think it's just so endless. And I think ultimately like wearing makeup makes me happy. Wearing like a tight shirt or a short dress sometimes makes me happy, sometimes not. But I think that's where I've landed on that. So I'd love to open this part up because it's a huge question for me and when I think about a lot is how do we actively fight what M was referencing. How do, what are the actions we can take both personally and collectively that we can say straight out that's feminism and isn't just us making the most of a shitty situation. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Okay, so something that I also feel really passionately about that I feel I haven't necessarily done a good enough job, and I think especially in the conversation with Chloe Cherry and honestly even with Iggy Azalea, I haven't talked enough about race and how that impacts all of this. And I got a great voice note from Dylan, something I definitely thought about after – I listened to the episode with Chloe was about her privilege and my privilege and how I didn't confront her about that. She is a white woman in a small body. And I'm actually just going to let Dylan say her piece here and then I'll reflect back on it. Hi, Amrata. First of all, thank you so much. I know your time is precious. So I just want to say thank you so much for your podcast episodes so far. They've been incredible. Uh, I've never responded to a podcast before, but this one, this Chloe Cherry one, I felt was the first one that was actually, I had like a really negative reaction. So I wanted to respond with kind of my feedback. Maybe it's because my best friend is a sex worker and she's black and her experience has been incredibly different, which I'm sure a lot of people in the sex industry would be. But I wish that was touched on in the episode. Like she's a white female in a small body. She doesn't seem to understand her privilege at all in this episode, and she's still so young, right? And I'll just end this by saying that I'm a 33-year-old biracial woman in a thin body who looks completely white, but half of my family that I grew up with, all of the people that I grew up with, are visibly black. And so I know my privilege and of looking this way as I watched it when I was growing up. And I really hope that Chloe and other white women, and I've seen that with you, like you talk about it constantly, but in this episode, it was like cringe. She just is really unaware. I'm so grateful for Dylan and writing in about her experience and making the point about white, able-bodied, thin-bodied people and how much less risk there is innately in sex work, but also in OnlyFans even. I think this is something really important now 
to kind of bridge me into the stigma and the taboo and how being judged for having an OnlyFans can be really impactful. Um, we're going to hear from someone who is Polish and about her experience going back to Poland, which is a conservative country, and even just dating as somebody who has a really active OnlyFans. But I just want to be clear that Black women who get on OnlyFans have so much more at risk. They don't have the privilege that white women have to walk around and still be seen as a certain kind of person in the world. So I think that stigma is just so much harder. And I can imagine that for Black sex workers or creators on OnlyFans, they have the chance of being judged and seen in a in a way that is tied up with race and sexism um, and slut shaming that just like white women don't experience. So I wanted to say that as we kind of get to my next point about the taboo around about OnlyFans. And I think that's just something when we have talked to a lot of different sex workers on the podcast, whether that be, you know, Chloe Cherry or Mia Khalifa or Julia Fox or Iggy. She's not a sex worker, but she obviously has commodified her body and image. And Bella Thorne and Amber Rose, who was a stripper. I think all these women are sitting in a position where they're now being interviewed and they people pay attention to them and they're famous. And so it really kind of shines this light on like what potentially how sexualizing yourself and commodifying it can be potentially so beneficial financially, just in a way of uh, obtaining power, right? And I think there is reality to that, obviously, right? But I think also all the femme-presenting people who haven't had that experience, they don't get an opportunity to be on my podcast and talk about all the ways this has fucked up their lives. <laughs> so I think that that is just another really important point I wanted to make about this. Let's hear from Isabella about her experience, which I think has been both positive and also has had negative aspects to it. I made an OnlyFans account during the pandemic, mostly because I needed money, but also because I have um, following on social media. So a lot of people were asking me to make one and I was like, you know what, this is the only time in history that this that you can probably monetize off of it. So I was just like, fuck it. So I made one and at first it was great. I couldn't believe the numbers on the screen, especially coming from being broke to actually like having money in a short period of time. That was insane. That was such a good feeling, gaining that independence in a way, because that's what money gives you a freedom. But I'm also from Poland, so that's a very close-minded country. So as the months went by, I started to notice that people judge me and I felt shamed, mostly by men. I live in LA, so I don't feel it as much here, but I go back to Poland all the time. And every time I go back to Poland, I refuse to leave my house because I just don't want to be judged. I'm lucky to have a good group of friends who don't judge me. I have such a great relationship with my parents and my siblings. But yeah, with OnlyFans, especially in dating and um, relationships, that's definitely a downside because every guy I'm dating asks me about it or they ask me how my family, my dad, my, my siblings feel about it. And that makes me really uncomfortable. And also when they find out I have OF, 
I can see, I can feel the change in their behavior towards me or like they don't consider me as a potential girlfriend anymore. So that is definitely a downside, but there's both sides. I, I do feel very empowered and sexy and like good in my body and that everything is on my terms and I can control it. I feel like I'm so financially independent and there's honestly no better feeling than that. I'm a person who doesn't necessarily give a fuck what other people think, but even some situations made me really sad and overthink it and regret it. So you got to be prepared. So this is a really interesting point Isabella makes, and it's something I've talked about before and written about, which is that there's financial success equates to freedom and independence. And that's what OnlyFans provides, right? OnlyFans provides that opportunity. And that femme-identifying folks have financial freedom. People could say that's a form of feminism. But I don't personally believe, and this is something Angela Davis talked a lot about with racism and feminism and the liberation of people in general, you need to have a free market for people to truly be able to be free and to have true power. And I want to now go over to Susanna, who makes the point about how much we focus on financial success as empowerment and money as equating to empowerment. So let's hear from Susanna. I worry about the way that we are holding up financial success as the end-all be-all for empowerment. I do think that Achieving a certain level of comfort financially can be very empowering, but it depends largely on the individual and how they get there. And I think that I'd like to hear more personally from guests on your podcast about the darker side of OnlyFans, of how it affected them negatively. I know there are people that are later in their careers in sex work that have not had, you know, roundly positive experiences like some of the people in your 20s that you've interviewed. And I would also really like to ask some of them the question, how does pushing the boundaries on a website like OnlyFans affect other women that are trying to earn their income there? And is it possible to unintentionally be forcing people to change their boundaries to financially compete? Yeah, listen, the marketplace, right? If one woman is showing X, Y, and Z, you might feel like you have to do that in order to be successful. And that is why capitalism and the marketplace and commodification of this is not feminism, right? Because it's not about personal choice and freedom. It's about what you do to commodify yourself. And you'll be pushed because it's a market to do things maybe that you're not comfortable with. It's just like the ethics of companies that start out being like, oh, we're going to be super green. And then they realize that their competitor isn't green and more people are buying that product because it's more affordable. It's kind of a weird metaphor, but it's, I think it makes sense. I really like this note from Rochelle. I think it's important to bring this up. The internet's a crazy place. And while OnlyFans has a lot of ways of preventing leaks, and I think that they talk a lot about how they're trying to be accountable and protect the creators, I do want to play this from her. 
I believe in and want to support female empowerment in every healthy way possible. But I do believe that OnlyFans is very toxic. I believe that it's toxic for everybody involved for two different reasons. One, I am studying cybercrime investigations as a master's student, and I've done a lot of research into the outlets that women, children, vulnerable populations will get sucked into. And OnlyFans is one of those outlets. And frequently men in relationships will use platforms like this to profit off of a woman or a, a child's body. And like Iggy Azalea was even saying, the person that actually owns that body is not even seeing most of the profit. Just statistically and in trends, we see that platforms like this and OnlyFans included benefit perpetrators. They benefit predators that want to make money off of young women, young girls' bodies. And at 18... At least I can say for myself when I was 18, I could not make that decision for myself. Like if I wanted to like sell my body, like that is such a young age. And the fact that there are like this, this platform enables men to profit off of girls like that, girls that young, I mean, they are really damaging their futures. It's horrible. Now, if it is completely the woman's choice and she's not doing this for another man, you know, she's not like giving any, any profits at all to another man and she's receiving all of them herself. Um, that of course is a lot better, but I do think that platforms like this enable men to continue living in these fantasy worlds where they have to do absolutely nothing, nothing to gain what they want most. And I've met many men that use these platforms, use these sites, um, to satisfy themselves. And the way that they treat women on the outside is absolutely disgusting. They treat the women in their lives like commodities because they don't, they can't differentiate between those two things. There's no dissociation. They, they are learning at like a psychological level that, that they just deserve that. They deserve to receive it and they don't need to put in any work, any integrity, commitment, loyalty, even protection to receive that. I love this note from Michelle. I think she's making two points. One, that, you know, even when you think you're in control and you're using a platform like OnlyFans, there's opportunities for people to exploit, right? And we know that. I think that there's these go-between companies that facilitate the messages and whatever, and they take a, a commission. And I don't think those are often safe people. Um, I know that you know, people are definitely stealing images, manipulating them, using them for their own profit and you lose control again. Um, I, so I think that's definitely true. And then I think the second part point she's making is that it does, this whole culture doesn't aid in building a respectful culture towards women and encourages men to, in fact, be disrespectful and entitled to women's bodies, femme presenting people's bodies, because it is a commodity and it's something that they don't even always have to pay for. They can get it for free. Oh, it's really depressing, honestly. I'm just having a moment just thinking about her point. Again, what I hate, what happens when we have these conversations, I often quickly find there's this sort of turning against the women who have chosen to partake in this system and to try to make the most of the world as it is and to guarantee themselves some kind of safety. And maybe it is short-sighted when it comes to feminism. But I think that I, I have found in my own life and my own experience that there have been 
real advantages to doing that. And then to be able to commodifying my image and sexualizing myself and my body, even with all the terrible experiences I had that I started this off with, has allowed me to have a podcast and to write a book that people are interested in listening to and reading and start conversations around this stuff that I wouldn't have otherwise maybe received that attention and been granted that platform. And it's fucked up that the world works in that way, but it's also, that has been the reality for me. As a celebrity and a public persona, and somebody who's, when my publicist heard that me say on my stories, like, I'm thinking about starting an OnlyFans, she like called me and she was freaking out. And she's like, we have worked so hard for you to be taken seriously. And as a writer, as a model, all these things, and not just the like naked girl from the video or the girl with the sexy Instagram, like going on OF is going to completely take all of that work away because there's such a stigmatization and an idea of the kind of woman who does that. And I have to say, I fucking hate that. And it makes me want to get one. Listen, I know the whole situation with Bella Thorne and OnlyFans, and I recommend people look that up and what how OnlyFans and celebrities going on OnlyFans has impacted sex workers. And I think that you have to be really careful about how you navigate the space as somebody who's coming on as a celebrity, right? I think that hasn't always traditionally been handled well. So that's something that's really important to me. And I'd love to hear from some creators about what they think and how I could do that. But I guess some part of me feels like, one, let's be clear, I love the idea of no longer having what Iggy and I talked about, which is this thing where you post these pictures and get attention and then you hope a brand is going to call you one day to hire you to get you to do something and that's how you make money. I love the idea of just being like, oh, you want to see me looking hot? You have to pay me directly and I don't have to deal with waiting for a denim company or a lingerie company to reach out to me. It's part of the reason I started my swimwear company, right, was I want to be in control. I want to be the one who's profiting off of my body and image first. That being said, this is another opportunity to do that. And I like the idea of, of making money, period. Second part of this is I do want there to be less woman hating in general, femme presenting people hating. And I've noticed, especially we talked about this, I've talked about this on the podcast before, like being sexual and being a mother. And then some of the experiences and things I've learned about the court system and the way that we slut shame and how much I see it just in our culture in general. I want that to change. And I'm not saying that me getting an OnlyFans could like change the world or whatever, but some part of me feels like it's making a point about how I feel about women who commodify their image and I guess feeling some sort of type of way about wanting to destigmatize and make it so that women don't have to walk around with shame if they've chosen to do that. There were so many other voice notes and comments I had that I thought were really, really important that I didn't get to get to on this episode. But I want to thank every single person who wrote to me or went to hilo.fm and submitted their experiences or their opinions. Again, I'm not a sex worker and I'm not an OnlyFans creator yet. And even if I do go on OnlyFans, my experience is going to be so different than a random person who signs up for it. And I want to hear more from people who use the platform and their thoughts and experiences. And I want to continue this conversation. So much to 
to take in here, right? And I again, I want to say that I do feel clear about certain things about about this stuff. And then other things I think are still just a big question mark and really how to live and what to do as a femme presenting person is a huge part of this. And I've always been somebody who likes to investigate things and not just be like, this is the answer. This is the opinion, which is why this episode is called Emrata Asks. It's about being curious. It's about continuing a conversation and being open-minded. So I'm really anxious to hear from all of you. And we will talk about this more because, again, I'm debating starting one. So thank you all again and looking forward to hearing more from you. If you liked this episode and want more of High Low, I recommend the subscription episode Talk Back where I play these voice notes. That episode is just dedicated to us being in conversation. So it kind of functions a lot like this episode did. I used a lot of those voice notes for this one, but in general, that is where you will find me responding to all of you and hopefully building community. So subscribe to High Low with Emrata Talk Back if you'd like more. High Low with Emrata is a Sony Music Entertainment, Bitch Era Media, and Something Else production. Our executive producers are me, Emily Radikowski, and Sarita Wesley. Our senior producer is Medina Parwana, and our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh. Thanks for listening.